He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Hello and welcome to a Good Talk Spoiled Golf Podcast. This is week 112, where we'll be previewing the 116th US Open. I'm Barry O'Hanrahan, and as with all our major preview shows, we skip the usual format and get straight into talking about the tournament with our good friend, Steve Bamford from golfbettingsystem.co.uk. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at Bamford Golf and his colleague Paul is at Golf Betting. So let's not waste any time and get to the chat I had with Steve earlier about this really exciting tournament at Oakmont. We're delighted to welcome back Steve Bamford of Golf Betting System to a Good Talk Spoiled Golf podcast for our preview show of the US Open. Steve, welcome back to the show. How are you keeping? Let's uh, stick to our usual format. Um, we'll just twist it up a little bit and let's talk about the weather first because there's been um, there's predictions of some crazy stuff happening on Thursday that might affect the entire tournament. Well, the whole build-up to, to the tournament's obviously been around. I mean, and this is going back to the turn of the year. We've got very uh, fast Poa, Poa Nara, or was it Poa Nuel, Poana. Now, Oakmont's renowned for them. The, the amount of slant, the scope of the greens and the undulations are absolutely intense. So some of the courses real defence mechanism is, is literally the speed of those greens. I'm reading numbers at the moment, you don't know what to believe, do you, on social media and Twitter or whatever. Of up to fourteen on the stick. Now, that's all well and good. And obviously, you know, that's the, those are the conditions that the guys faced in 2007 when Cabrera won. Although it was slightly more receptive on the Thursday because it had been a little bit of rain Wednesday through into Thursday night or Thursday morning. But from what we're seeing uh, on, on, the, uh, on a number of US weather sites is that third, from Wednesday evening, kind of midnight or 11 midnight time through to that, Till the start or the, the, the schedule starts at uh, seven around seven o'clock Thursdays, it's going to be thunderstorms, and those thunderstorms, there's a strong probability that they could be throughout the day on Thursday, which brings a whole new dynamic to it, really, because we're going to see for sure a course that's softened. Now, I'm not suggesting it's going to be like Congressional in 2011 when. When Rory shot his 17-18 under record US Open score, because it rained there in the build-up and every evening throughout the whole tournament, but I think we're definitely going to see a situation where that course and those greens aren't going to be quietly quite as fast as the USGA want them, at least in the opening round. It's uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm sure everybody's been seeing on social media the speed of the greens and how thick the rough is and that that um will place a huge premium on driving accuracy on the first day for sure you know if the rough is extra thick and juicy and wet it's uh, it's going to be absolutely nearly impossible to escape so but anyway that, that leads us on to a little bit of talk about the golf course so i think this is uh there's been a lot of good chat about this course all week uh, and in the last few weeks i'm really excited to see it and um, it doesn't seem to present any crazy problems it's pretty much straight it does go up and undulate up and down over the hills, which uh, they say, you know, forces the players to visualize shots because they're playing blind shots. But by and large, it's quite a simple test. Hit the ball straight, hit your greens in regulation, and uh, try not to have six puts on every green. Yeah, it was interesting last year. They went to Chambers Bay, which was kind of purpose-built, wasn't it? An old quarry. And uh, there was talk before the event that it was going to be, you know, three, four, five over par. It was going to be... Uh, the greens were terribly, you know, they, they could change, they could even change directions of holes, couldn't they? They were going to change yards every day and it was going to be firm and fast. And in the end, it was five under that actually won it, which in terms of the US Open is actually quite a low score. 
Um, but you're not going to get that. I don't think that's going to happen this year at Oakmont. It's, it's as classic or a golf course as you'll find. Um, it's pretty much now back to how Henry Founds designed it way back. Um, they cleared a lot of trees. They did that before 2007. Um, as you said, most of the holes are dead straight. So, you know, there's no dog legs or anything like that. But what you do get, you get a lot of uneven greens. Uh, sorry, a lot of uneven fairways. Um, you get you get some absolutely humongous bunkers. I've read that there's up to 210 bunkers across the golf course. And they're not the kind of ones that you'd want to go in. Um, of course, there's the, ch- the famous church, pu- uh, church pew bunkers between the third and the fourth. But I think it's just... From what, I, from what I read and from what you you can see from 2007, it's a good, honest golf course that's set up particularly difficult. There's a, there's a lot of fairway rough. Um, they reckon the rough around the greens is even worse than it was in 2007, although I also read that supposedly some of the rough uh, along the fairways is slightly less than last, uh, last time here. But, but yes, it's, it's all about those Poe and newer greens to a certain extent. It's one of those courses where, and you can see it in the statistics, the way Cabrera won it, he wasn't overly um, accurate off the tee, but he was particularly long, which takes, he took him clear a lot of the bunkers and a lot of the trouble. And yeah, he conceded a lot of bogeys, but he also, I think he, he was the leader, or one of the leaders for, for Burley, so he almost went risk-reward with it. And that's the way you know Cabrera plays his goal, risk-reward. Mm. So, you know, it... it there's a place for plodders that, that's clearly obvious from Jim Furyk and David Tons being in the top five last year and then Long Roberts going back to 1994 the year that Ells won around here but even early Ells he was long off the tee wasn't overly accurate off the tee but it's, it clearly is about hitting as many greens as you can if you're, if you're hitting 70% of greens in regulation you're going to be pretty much at the top of that statistic this week but that also means that if you're, if you're not hitting 30% of your greens, you're going to have to have some kind of short game, some kind of scrambling game to try and, to try and minimise those bogeys when you're actually off, off the green surface. It's an interesting test. As Brad Schnedeker described it, it's a fair of a golf course, but it's, it's, uh, it's a fair golf course. If you're playing well, you will get rewarded for his words. Yeah, that seems to be a, quite a common theme and uh, comment by players in relation to the course. Like, they all know they're coming up against an absolute monster, and they seem to have accepted this as as a fact. And they just realise they have to get on with it and just play really good golf. And if you play, yeah. if you play good, last, last year was tricked up, wasn't it? Yeah, it actually looked at the way that the, you know it was. Uh, let me drop, let me. <clears throat> it was Jordan Speed and D- Dustin Johnson that fought it out in the end, but there were there were major. There were major links to somewhere like Kapalua, which again, coastal, but it was one of those 7,600 type golf courses where it was all about brute power in the end. This, this is going to be far more of an all-round test. Mm. I think if you, if, you lit, if you are indiscriminate off the tee, uh, if you're a Jimmy Walker kind of player who's hitting 30%, 35% of fairways these days, you're not going to be able to hack it out of that thick rough and hit enough, nearly enough greens or hit it nearly close enough to get anywhere near contention. I think there's going to be a level of strategy and there's going to be a, a need for some real resilience to be able to take two iron or three wood or five wood off the tee rather than give it a good old bash with the driver and end up in a lot of trouble. Mm. It, patience is the word we're looking for yeah it'll, it'll be good to see like players having to strategize rather than simply open the shoulders and just launch it as far as they can um, obviously anyone who's quite long is going to have an advantage in being able to play those two three irons or hybrids off the tee like um, think back to Jason Day in Sawgrass hitting his, th- his what was it the two iron he was hitting them yeah. 280 290 290. Yeah, yeah, just standard, you know. <laughs> so, um, the other thing just to point out to listeners is there are there are a couple of very interesting holes. How would you like this, Barry? You're, you're obviously very keen to get out of the golf course. Would you like a 297 yard par three? With a hurricane behind me to help the ball get there, maybe. <laughs> um, that's not playable for amateurs. Not really. No, that, that's a tough golf hole, isn't it? 
Yeah. I saw, I, saw uh, I think it was Ben Coley tweeted the other night that that's actually that 297 number. Uh, sorry, I've got it wrong. It's 288 yards, part three. And they can pull that back to 252 yards this week, just the 252. That 288 is actually higher than quite a few players' average driving distance. <laughs> it's and, a- then, and like you said, actually, that you think back through, that actually does, again, it helps the power players that can take three wood or two iron or three iron on that on that particular hole. Mm. There's all, all 667 yard par five, which is one of the two longest par fives in US Open history. So yeah, it, the course at seven two five five doesn't seem overly long. It isn't outright, but there are some really punishing holes there. Yeah, the the par three is actually you know, design wise. It's clever. I mean, it, there's a wide, almost runway that you landed on short of the green, and it runs down to the green. So it's not extremely penal. It is play. It's a playable golf hole, but um, it's at that at that kind of length. Par is just a kind of a, a fictional notion, really. It's just get the ball in the hole as few shots as possible. Um, then again, like later on in the range, they have a, the seventeenth is you know a drivable par four. So there's you know it's a tough one, but there is balance there in, in terms of par. You know, there's a part, that par four is just slightly longer than the par three. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's get the ball around the golf course for 72 holes in fewer strokes than everybody else. And it doesn't matter if you make bogey on that par three every day. If there you- is risk and reward there. And I think I think what a lot of this will come down to is, is, is holding on for grim death around 12, 13 of those holes. And, you know, the guys that are going to contend and have the mental patience to say, right, if I can get around these holes in par, one over, two over, and I've got four or five scoring holes where there's an element of risk or reward, if I'm good enough with a wedge, say on the par five, the the par five coming home, because it's not going to be reachable in two, but if I can get a birdie there as well, all of a sudden I'm building a a score here that's going to get me towards the top of the leaderboard, but it's having that patience, isn't it? And on the PGA Tour these days, there's so many of the golf golf courses now it's just a target you know it's target golf it's, it's birdie fest this is going to be completely different to that looking forward to it a lot uh, I must admit okay so we've kind of talked a little bit about what you need what what are the key attributes you think a player needs this week you know, just lock down two or three things that they need to be really going well this week so driving accuracy to a certain extent and then greens and regulation um, do they need to put the lights out well, if you, if you take Cabrera's numbers, he shot five over to win this. Uh, Furyk and Woods were, were tied second, six over. Uh, he was 3-11 off the tee, which was second half, second longest. Uh, Woods was also 11th longest at 3 uh, But Cabrera, he hit four, He was sub-50% on fairways, which put him 48. He was 65... No, this is this, 65.3 greens in regulation, you think. You know, normal PGO to a golf, you're missing the cut. He was third in greens in regulation for that number. Yeah? Mm. He was only, and this, this did surprise me, and this isn't the case for Furyk and Woods. They were top 20 for scrambling, but Cabrera was 40th for scrambling, and just over a third. But, the, you know, but he was 1.72 putts for greens in regulation, so 10 for putting. So again, that kind of suggests to me that, and he's, he was nowhere, he wasn't as frugal with his bogeys as a lot of the players, like Woods, for example, but what he did do, where he made more bogeys, he also made more birdies. And that's this risk-reward element on, the, on, 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 on some of these holes, the drive on the par fours, the par fives. If you can make some birdies there, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be in contention as long as you're not crazily... Uh, making bogey bogey all of the time on the other hole. An interesting one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Again, Ernie Elms in 1994. I know we're going way back, but he was only 43rd for fairways hit. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it's you wonder. It's. Uh... It'll be interesting to see how the guys get on with getting out of the rough when they do miss the fairways. I think that's the key thing, and uh, scrambling them will, will of course, be quite important because trying the guys are all saying trying to actually get to the greens from a lie out off the fairway 
is really bloody hard. So you're going to end up being short of the green. You're going to have to pitch and put onto those crazy fast greens. It's 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 a proper U.S. Open test. One of the key numbers for me, Barry, statistically, was was greens in regulation from off the fairway. I think genuinely, if you're a player that struggles to hit greens if they're in the rough, um, you're going to struggle around here. No matter how accurate you are, there's going to be times where you cannot hit fairways. And if you're if you're if you're hitting a bogey every time you miss the fairway, there was a quote about the 18th here, 2007, literally. If you were in the rough, you were making at least bogey. Uh, And if it's going to rain a a hell of a lot across Wednesday evening into Thursday, that's only going to make that rough far. It's going to make it slightly thicker. It's going to promote flying lies because of the dampness within it. It's only going to make that rough tougher. I know, obviously, the fairways will be uh, a lot more receptive, so the ball won't have as much roll on it. But, you know, when you do get in that rough, it's going to be brutal to get out on. They reckon that the actual rough around the greens is so thick you can barely see your ball in it. Yeah, so some of the videos are quite scary altogether. The, uh, the marshals are going to have to have their uh, laser vision on this week to keep an eye on the balls. Okay, this golf course doesn't... Uh, it seems to offer up many ways to, to win the championship. So how on earth do we go about narrowing down the field in terms of you know, trying to pick a winner? <laughs> now, it's interesting if you, I, so here's some generic statistics and as, we're, as ever with stats I'm, you know they're there to be shot down and trends are broken but seven of the last nine US Open winners in their previous outing were in the top ten in the all round category and that kind of makes a level of sense I mean, if you're in the top ten all round uh, going into the US Open your game has got to be in a decent all round shape now Mm-hmm. Every element of it, you know, relatively decent driving, uh, good greens in regulation, decent putting, decent scrambling. I mean, that stat can be very biased. I mean, um, I noticed last week Dustin Johnson, who you know played reasonably well at Southland last week, was I think he was third or fourth in the all round, but he was seventieth in scrambling. So he, that, to me, was a reason why I left. I left Dustin out because I just don't think he's scrambling at the moment is going to be able to cope with his course. I think literally, if he misses greens, which everyone is going to do, if you're if you're kind of down in the sixties and seventies for scrambling, you're going to be making too many bogeys. Mm. So there's there's one angle that the guys can look at if you can if you can grab yourself some all round stats over previous tournaments that are in the build up to this. That's a decent angle. Um, there are of course people that did do that. Webb Simpson. He missed the cut twice before he actually turned up at... Um, he was in San Francisco in 2012. Um, and then he went and won the golf tournament. So there are exceptions. Um, but I just, I just think you're looking for players that are um, hitting lots and lots of greens at the moment. It was it was clear to me that uh, Angel Cabrera... Um, he wasn't. He, he only had one top ten before getting to the US Open. He won this 150-20 in 207. And um, his previous outing had been at the old Wentworth, where he'd, he'd been top for greens in regulation. And he was sixth or seventh for all round. I think he finished fifth or sixth. And it's that kind of peaky form you're looking for. The other thing I like, and, and, and if you know your golf connoisseurs will get this, you take Ernie Eld, you take Angel Cabrera, and you link them up, and you look at courses where they both perform well. They've done well at Wentworth. They've done well at naturally Augusta. I mean, we know Cabrera loves, loves Augusta. There's also courses like Firestone, where they played the WGC Bridgestone Invitational. Both have done well there. Both have done well at Bay Hill. Both have done well at TPC Boston. So I've tried to mirror up players that have done well on those courses in the States with, with players that I've picked this week and players that have shown some reasonable form and who are, hit, who are hit, hitting a lot of greens right now. That's 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 how I've broken it down. I've come up with four players on that one. Well, a good time to get into the picks. So um, let's uh, let's hear who's who's your first pick. Who's your number one for the week? Shot in 
McGirt that actually won. But I, I, for me, and I've had this guy in mind since the turn of the year, you know, you sit there, you, you're eating too much turkey at, at Christmas, you know, yeah, who do you think will do well at the US Open? Straight on my piece of paper was Jason Dutt, and I, I, I can't, I can't leave him out of my, out of my gang of four this week. Three points to win I've got with Jason Day, seven to one. He opened up uh, Monday, um, fifteen to two, uh, so he's shortening all the time. I've got a feeling it's a sea of blue on day at the moment. I've got a feeling he's probably finding he's being tipped up by Steve Palmer over in the racing post tomorrow. I'm yeah, you know you're good, you're good. I'm on odds checker here, and it's mostly blue for Jason Day, which means he's uh, that he's becoming the strong favourite. For me, Jordan Speed, his win at Colonial was, was all, it was just bizarre, wasn't it? He wasn't hitting enough greens. He was scrambling, chipping in from the fairways. He was scrambling like he can. He was making those 25, 30, 35 foot putts that only Spieth can make really or Jason Day in his prop in his pop and then he went to Muirfield and, and he was uh, he played so poorly Spieth uh, at Muirfield two weeks ago now Jason Day was no better but Jason Day and he, he freely admits it Jason Day is a Muirfield Village member and he can't play the golf course in tournament conditions and he says I can't play Muirfield Village because I always take the lines with a driver that I take when it's soft and I play here twice every second week during the rest of the season. But when it's PGA Tour conditions, you can't do what I do off the tee. And he, he freely admitted that before the tournament a couple of weeks ago. Sure enough, he actually, you know, he was semi-contending, wasn't he? He started well and he was almost on the fringes of the top 10, top 8. Final round, he went backwards. So actually, for Jason Day, that was a decent performance of Beautiful Village. That was his, I think it was his best finish he's ever had there. So that all-round stat in his last performance doesn't work for Jason Day. But then if you look at the two performances before that, he was in the top five all-round when he won at TPC Sawgrass. I think he was, in, he was third or fourth at TPC Louisiana. He's hitting tons and tons of greens at the moment. He's putting like Jason Day putts. We know that he scrambles. We know that he his final poana. He, he, in fact, he thrives on it. He's won at Torrey Pines. He's done well at Pebble Beach. He's done well on Ben Poe Greens uh, at the Barclays tournament at Plainfield last year. He just loved Poano is not a problem for Jason Day. In fact, he actually looks forward to putting on those greens. Um, you can make a case for Rory, of course, especially if the course is going to be soft. But when it when it becomes a, a tough, tough golf course, where what I don't know. This is this, it's guesswork, especially with this these soft conditions start off. But if we're suggesting that level par, one under, one over is going to be a kind of target score, that for me is a Rory McIlroy kind of tournament. That's, that's just the way I look at it. Um, so for me, I, I'm, I'm going Jason Day three points to win. Mm, it's a good pick. And even though he's uh, had those mental problems of taking on Muirfield Village um, in tournament conditions, He's shown a maturity in being able to pick apart golf courses and strategize a way to win. Um, you know, recently seen at Sawgrass, which was really, really impressive with uh, throttling back off the driver and lots of irons and strategy off the tee. So um, he, he's, he's going to be he's going to be there on Sunday. He's in he's in the conversation on Sunday evening. When you read um, or watch interviews with Jason Day, he's become he's become very strategic minded. It's clear, and he mentions this a lot, it's clear that him and his team sit down and strategize in important tournaments how they're going to actually tackle it. And like he did at TPC Sawgrass, no one picked it because everyone said, oh, it'd be far too wild off the tee and you need a level of accuracy. And, you know, from distance, Jason Day isn't the most accurate of golfers, but when I've looked at the numbers here, he's actually from within 125 yards, so with the wedge, He's still in the top 70 for, for accuracy with his wedges. So, you know, even on that par 5, that potentially won't be reachable, 667, he's, he's still going to be one of those guys that stands there with a wedge in his hand thinking, I can get this to 10 feet and make a putt. Mm. Some of the bombers haven't got that kind of ammunition if they can't reach into. Day has got that. McElroy's got that. Even Dustin Johnson's got that. I just think that I think he's going to have a strategy that makes him part of the equation come Sunday evening. That's if it, obviously. 
finishes <laughs> yeah, on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. But you just can't see Jason Day being close to the lead, right? Um, yeah, so pick number two. Who have you got? I'm going against the grain slightly, but I got my fingers burnt Augusta badly by Ricky Fowler. But when you look at Ricky's results, especially last year where, you know, from being the most overrated player along with Ian Poulter, he went and won the Players' Championship. He then won the Scottish Open and then he won the TPC Boston at the Deutsche Bank. Each one of those wins was preceded by at least a miscut. And you get the feeling with Ricky that sometimes he psychs himself up and he gets into such a, such a situation that he gets to the golf course and actually plays himself out of it straight away. And I think that definitely happened to Augusta. If you remember, I, I mean, I was on board, so I was watching him like a hawk. He, he turned up at the first hole and made bogey. In fact, he made double, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, you, and at that point, you might as well have thrown your betting slip in the, in the bin. He, he fought back and then it just went whole, horribly wrong. And Jordan Speed was one under, two under, three under, four under. And all of a sudden, the pressure's building from the very get-go. And Ricky just, he, he just didn't have it. Now, Fowler, Muirfield Village, Michigan Cup, you think, oh, God, that's not so good. But then Fowler's got a, quite a love-hate relationship. There's a lot more hate recently on Muirfield than, than there's been love. And he also defended at the TPC Sawgrass. And as we know, people that defend at Sawgrass, for whatever reason, don't ever particularly do very well. So I can excuse those miscuts. The ones that interest me with Fowley was sick at the PGA National uh, back in March, a brutal golf course at Nicholas Design down in Florida. He was also fourth at Quail Hollow three outings ago. And he's won at Quail Hollow, a classical golf course, he played to eight under this year with James Harwin in from Roberto Castro. So it was a tough golf course relatively on the PGA Tour. And Fowler finished fourth. In, he was in on exactly the same score as Rory McIlroy. Um, and he was number one for all round that particular week. And you just know with Ricky, you look at all of his results, they tie up very, very well with all of the golf courses that tie in with early L's and they also tie in with uh, with Angel Cabrera, so he's done well at, uh, at Firestone, done well at Augusta. And I think a lot of the battle this week, you look at Els, look at Cabrera, both, they, they've done well at Augusta, they've putted well on those crazily fast, undulating greens of Augusta. Jason Day, we know, can do that, and I think Ricky Fowler can do that as well. And I just think he might be coming, I'm probably completely wrong, I'll probably missed the cut, but you just, I just get the feeling with Fowler that if he's ever going to win a major it might be not when he's red off favourite 12 to 1 10 to 1 it might be when he goes in there with a very low level of expectation no pressure on his shoulders whatsoever this week and actually gets right in the mix mm. he, and he does he loves the battle of t- tough golf courses you can just see him relishing the challenge uh, he doesn't mind level, level park golf does he I mean no. he's, 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 he's got a decent enough US Open record and he's also played well at some very, very tough open championships like Sandwich. So, you know, level par golf to Ricky, like you say, he relishes it. It doesn't, it doesn't worry him. Good shout, and a very po- he'd be a very popular winner. I'm sure he would. Um, okay, who, who have you got lined up next then after Ricky? Well, Ricky at 33, so he was just too tempting for me. Um, you, could, uh, you could make a very, very good case for our friend Lefty who, again, was 30-1 to 1 on Monday, looked at, look, looked at lefty very, very closely. Other players I looked at around that kind of price point, you could make a case for your friend Henrik Stenson. Um, you could make a case for someone like Sergio Garcia. And it's interesting with Garcia. He won a few weeks ago, didn't he, down in Texas at TPC Four Seasons. And when you look at Garcia, you go, you go back to 2012, uh, 2010 when he won his last... A time on in America, and so it was 2012. And you just go back in history on the European. When 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 Garcia is happy with the way he's playing tee to green, he can string together wins, second, thirds. But obviously, we know the problem with Sergio and majors. But I would not be surprised to see Sergio right in the mix this week. Very generous prices available on him as well. Oh yeah, I thought 45 to 1 was a decent 
decent price on Sergio, I have to say. Yeah, considering he's won so recently, uh, it's certainly his odds have slipped out. Uh, it's a, that's a tempter for sure. There's worse mid, mid-price mid each way bets than Sergio Garcia, in my mind, this week. Um, but I did, I, I declined both of those. I've gone for two of bigger prices. I've gone for a guy who I think, for me, is the best parana putter in the world right now. I've gone for Brad Schnellica. I've got one and a quarter points each way. It's 70 to 1 with Betfred. They're six places, so I'm quite pleased with that. But I just see Snedeker. When you look at his numbers, the key categories I was looking for were um, scrambling, of course, sand saves, three-putt avoidance, someone that's good with a wedge in their hand, someone that's decent when they get the ball in the rough, someone that can avoid bogeys. Snedeker populates all all of those categories. And, you know, four wins, two at Pebble Beach, two at uh, Torrey Pines. When he won Torrey Pines this year, he scored that amazing, was it 68 or 69 in the final round? That, they, that, that most of the field were saying was level to like shooting a 59. Mm, yeah. He can play technical golf. He can, he, can, he can play in the worst conditions, the toughest conditions, and make light of it. I just think Snedeker... The, the thing that got me with him was he was uh, he played Colonial last. He, uh, he only finished 17th, but he was 5th in the all-round category. 17th in driving accuracy, 5th in greens irregulation. When, when, when Sneds is hitting lots of greens, he's, he, he becomes a serious factor because we know his short game so good. So I, I just couldn't, I couldn't firstly understand the 70-1. And I, I just couldn't resist, could not resist Snedeker. I think he's got four... Archetypal player loves the battle. Um, somebody who interested, interested me around that price was Martin Keimer. I've got I've put a bet on Keimer. Uh, he's been sneakily growing form on the European Tour uh, this year. So I know U.S. Open back to a tournament he won a few years ago. I I, th- I think he could go all right. Keimer was on my shortlist. So yeah, it, it, on the basis I haven't included him, we'll probably find him definitely getting the mix. <laughs> you just know we've um, and you know this is the whole point isn't it it was the same with Cabrera in 07 not many top 10s beforehand but he uh, Kyber was top 5 wasn't he at um, uh, Balderrama just after Augusta and he also played top 10 golf at Wentworth which is of course he doesn't the overly get on with but he hit a lot of greens and he scrambled particularly well so yeah I, I, I think Kyber's a good bet this week very good bet. Yeah. Um, do you have any more picks or anyone else that kind of caught your fancy? Finally, I've got 90 to 1 with Mark, uh, Mark Leishman. Mark Leishman. Again, a couple of top, couple of second place finishes at Torrey Pines. Uh, fourth at Augusta 2013. Fifth Royal Liverpool 2014. Second St Andrews last year. So he can mix it in major championships. US Open record is, is poor. I just think he's a lot more all-rounded this year, scrambling well, putting well. Just hasn't, as yet, put that kind of performance together on the PJ Tour. But but Leishman is one of these players, and they're quite rare these days. He's a bit like a Cabrera, you know, where domestic kind of PJ Tour events don't seem to really motivate him. But open, but at WGCs at uh, May. Championships all of a sudden he appears from nowhere. So I think uh, the last two tournaments he's been 11th and 11th. He's played some really nice golf. And he does play classical golf courses in the States really well. So I just couldn't resist him. 90 to 1, uh, he was available at the morning. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, so it's Leishman, Snicker, Fowler, and Jason Day are my four. But going back to what you were saying, I, I think Kai was a decent shout, and I also think Garcia is a decent shout. But for guys that are looking at bigger prices, triple digits, and we know that triple digits do get involved at the US Open year after year after year, uh, Paul, my, uh, the European Tour uh, expert at Gold Bank System, he always focuses on, on, on some value bets at the majors. He's going for Russell Knox at 100 to 1, who played very, very well on that Poe at the, on the Poano at um, K Club a few weeks ago. And he's also gone for, and this was a guy that really came on my radar, Chris Wood, 
who won at Wentworth a couple of weeks ago, 150 to 1 on Wood, which I think is a particularly juicy price actually on Chris Wood. Yeah, and he had a good performance last week as well in Austria, defending yeah, his title. In Austria, a couple of top fives at uh, some very brutal Open Championships, one at Turnbury. So again, this kind of he played very well at the Irish Open a few years ago. That I think two under one Kielsen. So yeah, he can play technical golf courses. He's you know he's he's done well in the states fairly recently as well. I think he had a, a top ten or something at somewhere like Firestone. So I can see Chris Wood potentially getting in the mix. And at the moment, he, he, he's in the automatic spots for the Ryder Cup team, so he's got something to really play for. Mm. Are you fancying Barry? I actually, um, I haven't been able to get Phil Mickelson out of my head for the last few days, so I converted that into a bet on Phil. Um, I, I, he's just, he's playing good golf at the moment, and when he, when he seems to have a struggling round, he's able to come back the next day or you know a loose round he's able to fix it with um, and come back the next day and play really well he played well this week no just last week gone he's putting quite well he's got more US Open motivation than anybody and it, it just seems like he, he's a great player and great players have historically won at Oakmont and uh, like in addition to it being a nice it would be a nice story but I think he's going to be there within a you know in the conversation uh, come the final round in the conversation Indeed, yeah, it'd be a nice win for Phil. I think everybody would love to see that. Um, another one very close to that in price. I've backed Adam Scott. I think he's kind of flying under the radar a little bit, you know, with the Dave McElroy and Spieth at the top of the betting. And uh, Scotty likes to, you know, he likes the classical golf courses. He can be a green and regulation monster. Yeah. Um, the putting would be a little worry for me about him, but you know. Anybody can go have a real hot putting week, and I think Scotty is a little bit flying under the radar, and that pressure off his shoulders, he could uh, he could show up and do well. I don't think these US Opens are putting competition, Barry. So yeah, okay, Jason Day is a good putter. That's one of the reasons I actually still included Ricky Fowler because it's, it's his putting that's been letting him down of late. Still hitting tons and tons of green, still scrambling well. It's the putter, but these tournaments don't tend to be about the putting. They tend to be about those five to seven to ten foot kind of par saves. Now, anyone can have a good week on those. And they tend to be about purely three-part avoidance. So if you've got players that have got have done well so far this year on their three-part avoidance, I think those are the kind of players that are going to get or gravitate towards the top of the leaderboard. You know, Phil, again, Phil's numbers are very, very strong for this event. Um, very, very strong. The only thing, the only reason I think kept him out was his ability to just have a bad hole where he pulls driver, uh, he, he makes a terrible swing. He did it to, to Quail Hollow a few uh, last month where he, he made an eight on the 18. He just, he just, I just hope, hope for the tournament it's for itself that he can keep consistent off the tee and then he becomes a real factor for me. So I, I think there's a lot of lot, a lot of mileage in, in Lefty this week. And yeah, Scott again. I, again, I, I, it's not going to be one of these 1.5, 1.55 kind of uh, birdie fest shootouts on the greens. It, it really isn't. It's, it's going to come down to some par saves and some key putts at vital times and avoiding those three putts. Yeah, and uh, well, I had to, I had to just throw a little. Um not a saver but just a bet on Stenson because my god if he actually went and won a tournament and I wasn't on him I think I'd never live it down so uh, there's a few euro on Henrik just in case he actually clicks this week and he hits a lots of lots of fairways if he can get it he's throwing it played beautifully last time out so he's green again yeah. and he doesn't mind a bit of power in Europe he doesn't mind it at all he's, he's done very well in the, around uh, in the, you know around New York and those kind of bed poke greens around there so yeah So yeah, not, I won't talk too much about Stenson. I've done it m- many, many times over the previous hundred or so episodes. Do does somebody? Let's just say Matthew Fitzpatrick's been playing very nicely recently. I haven't put a bet on him. Does can you see him going well here? Yeah, I can. Yeah, I'm not saying yes to all the players you mentioned. No, it's just, it's just genuinely true. Um, if I was looking at, if you look at my 
my shortlist here that I've got on my desk. Fitzpatrick was on it, but again, he was he was one of the final ones to be scrubbed. I, it was interesting with him. You know, we were talking earlier about the link to Augusta. Finished ninth, didn't he, on his debut? And yeah, people say yeah, but he only played well on the Sunday, and he came from off the pace and this and that. But the fact of the matter is, he was ninth on debut Augusta, and he actually played his best golf when the when the wind died down on the Sunday, and the greens were at their fastest. So yeah, on a fast golf course, uh, he was top ten at that Irish Open I mentioned a couple of years ago, where two under won it. I think he shot level par, finished eighth. So I think there's a lot. He's, he's clearly doing his usual, hitting lots of fairways, lots of greens. I can, I can see Fitzpatrick going very, very well this week. It was interesting as well, I, I picked up that he played, he flew across to Boston last week and he's been practising at Brookline. Um, so he's been getting up to speed with kind of the, those kind of power and newer grasses. So he's going to be well practised and, and well versed on, on the power Interesting. That's some good preparation there. Um, how do you think Masters champion Danny Willis will go? It was f- funny that we were talking about Willis um, as a possible, like, as a good battler and maybe a better contender to win a US Open or a British Open, and uh, he went and surprised us and won the Masters instead. Do you, uh, do you think he's just still a little bit rusty to contend here? Forty to one, isn't he, uh, William? Which is a decent enough price, isn't it? I just think he hit the front of Wentworth, didn't he, and, and then and then went into sort of reverse gear. And he was trading odds on Friday morning, wasn't he, on, on Betfair Exchange. Um, that's how confident people were that he was just going to walk away that tournament. The fact that he, 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 the fact that from being in such a, a really strong position to then not ending up in the top ten kind of put me off him. And he was right in the mix at um, Clay Club as well, wasn't he, and then didn't get the job done. I think, you know, as an each way bet, though, you can see him in the mix because, again, all of the faculties of his game are working very well. He's putting very well. So, Poano, again, no problem with him because, you know, he's right in the mix. It was interesting because Paul gave me some European tour, uh, Ben Poano sort of mix statistics, and Willick was at the top of them. So, when he plays that kind of grass in Europe, he plays very well on it. Hmm. Any, anybody else worth discussing? Is this golf course too straight for Bubba? I think uh, I think Bubba in form would have played around it very well. He did. He's an enigma, isn't he? You know, you, you can say he's out of, out of form, and he and he comes up and and, and he he contends. The only thing I look for for Bubba to try and get a read on whether, whether he's playing well is his driving accuracy. If he's not, if he's hitting, slightly obvious. If he's hitting a reasonable to good level of fairway with his power, he obviously becomes a major factor. And at Muirfield last time out, I think he was in like the bottom two or three for driving accuracy, and it it just left a, it left a it left a negative taste in my mouth for Bubba. Mm. If he if he's not hitting fairways, I, I can't fancy him on pro. But you know he, he played top five. Was it, was it fifth or sixth or something like that when he when they played here in 07? He's got the kind of game that could do well here if he's hitting lots of greens and lots of fairways. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it'd just be interesting. He's, you just you never know when he's going to pop up. Um, he, he is. It's like every week, isn't it? You can always mention 10, 12, 15 players that you think, well, actually, well, you know, these guys have all got a good shot. And you, you, put, you put Watson in that category, I think. Hmm. Um, Justin Rose seems to be one. It's, um, have you heard much about his back injury? Has he, uh, is that fixed, or is he kind of returning a bit too soon? Is he? There were some tweets that came out overnight that he was obviously been working hard in the gym whatsoever. The only, the only thing I'll say with Justin is, uh, you, you look at the way that he wins. He's a bit of a, he's a Kuchar type. Well, to be fair, he's a typical Justin Rose type winner. He builds up to wins, yeah. Hmm. I don't see him coming from having kind of a month off and then getting into a situation where he's going to win at the US Open. So I, I just think that kind of, like that kind of comes out of the price as well. The bookmakers are offering, was it 30, 33s on Rose? Thereabouts, yeah. He's a little bit tighter than that now. He's down to 28s in most places and 25s. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Rose at 28s at a major for quite a while. I think, it, for me... I, 
potentially he's going to need he's going to need a warm up or two to get back into the swing of things. I think he's going to win this year though. Um, there's a win in it, definitely. Okay, we've done quite a lot. N- nobody else really flagging in your head to, worth discussing, or I mean, we, we could have talked about everybody but the one guy who goes on to win. <laughs> well, we always do. Yeah, <laughs> that's just the way it is, isn't it? Yeah, hey, yeah, uh, it's, it's a tough old gig calling golf before the off. It's tricky. Yeah. Will you will you be having? Will you be keeping an eye um, in terms of betting strategy to place any bets in running? something I look at quite a lot um, it, it works very well especially if you can pick up a player even after a couple of rounds that's obviously much shorter but you just know from the research that you've done that he's the sort that can actually get the job done it's also worthwhile of course knowing this is something I include in my previews every week certain tournaments have certain kind of pulses to them so certain tournaments you, you've got to you can start slowly it doesn't matter other tournaments you've got to be bang up with the pace much from the start and it's interesting with the US Open that it seems to be one of those tournaments I mean I'll just read it to you uh, Spieth was 7th after round 1 last year Kymel was 1st Rose 16th Simpson was 23rd in 2012 but that was a particularly weird kind of tournament McElroy was 1st McDowell was 1st so to me it's one of these and we were talking about the rain, we were talking about, I think it's one of these tournaments where you need to get a fast start. So if you can find players that are a reasonable price and can actually start well from you know from the get-go, that wouldn't be a bad player to get on potentially in running. Um, there's others I've seen talked about. Coker, you know, Brooks Coker's playing well at the moment. He's 50s. Patrick Reed's at 50s. He could scramble well. He, he, you know, he, he's the kind of sort that can battle well as well as any Patrick Reed. There's just there's so many players in that kind of thirty to eighty to one. A lot of people are talking about um, uh, about Charles Schwartzel. We know that he can putt well on these kind of greens. He's playing reasonably well at the moment. He's as big as seventy to one out there. There's some very good each way value bets out there who you know. You, you can make cases for a lot of players this week. Even the likes of Kevin Chappell, who's done one of the US Opens in the past, hundred to one. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of value out there. I've got a sneaky feeling, you know, a sneaky feeling that someone like Harris English might go well. Second a couple of weeks ago, wasn't he? He's he's doing well in the all round numbers right now with his goal kind of play that does well on par seventies. No, never done anything majors before, but that doesn't stop players contending. You know, in, in tournaments like this, we're nearly falling into our usual tra- trap of the more players we discuss, the more we get added to our betting list. <laughs> um, speaking speaking of betting and offers, um, what what kind of uh, what good offers and value have you seen around the, the bookmakers market this week? I see a few. There's two of them have gone to seven places. And, yeah, seven uh, places is the maximum you'll get. And actually, that's the best that we've seen since 2013. So 2014-15, it was six places across the board. Now, you'll, take, you'll have to take a slight hit because both uh, Paddy Power, they're always seven places, have caught 50 odds. Coral have also done the same. Coral have gone uh, seven places of 50 odds. So fair play to Coral. Um, they've also, I mean, I'm just looking on the odds checker. There's a lot of players with Coral available at top market price. I'm just looking at someone like Jason Cograg, 300 to 1. David Tops, 400 to 1 with Coral. Streelman, who played well last time out, 250 to 1. So if you're looking for players who are a big, big, triple digit price, Coral and and Paddy Power, they're offering seven places each way. There's also, uh, and we've got a deal that's available with Betway, and you can sign up by a gold betting system. It's an exclusive buy with gold. Um, if you haven't got a Betway account, you're a new customer, come to Gold Bank System, my website, we're obviously shared with Paul, Paul Williams. Um, we've got a deal where Betway are giving new customers a five uh, euro or five pound first time bet. You don't have to leave any credit card details, they're just giving you five pounds to bet with. So you can use that at the US Open, you can even use it on, on the Euro 2016 at the moment. So uh, Betway, come to Gold Bank System, they give, they'll give you a five 
so I can't be a bad thing, can I? Nope, thank you very much. There are also six places each way as well, so, you know, you can place a, a 250 each way, no problems at all. Excellent, good stuff. Um, you guys have a few of the golf betting system competitions going as well this week. No, no competitions this week. What? Ah, oh, Steve, that's disappointing. Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> you do have you do have the, the weekly competition going as always, though, right? It's, it's, it's something else, isn't it? You can really get lost in there for hours just reading and reading and reading. Just, uh, br- br- there's a number of stuff, good and bad, but uh, <laughs> there's, there's a hell of a lot of knowledge, not just on, not just on the PJ Tour, web.com, we've got guys that specialise in that, guys that specialise specialize on the LPGA. There's just people that just understand who have followed golf betting for, you know, since time of memorial. So, yeah, golf betting system on Facebook. Uh, if they want to follow me, I'm available at, at Bamford Golf. Paul Williams is at Golf Betting, and the web address is uh, www.golfbettingsystem.co.uk. Okay, great stuff. Uh, guys, give Steve and Paul a follow. Check out the website. The website's brilliant, not just for this week, but for every week when you're having a look for whether it be for fantasy golf purposes or for actually if you're going for a little bet, it helps kind of uh, narrow things down. And uh, I hope that uh, listening to the show, you have uh, developed, got a few picks for yourself for this week. And even if you don't bet, I hope you got a, got a good insight into what will uh, what's going to be required this week and uh, who might go well. Steve, um, that just leaves me to say thank you very, very much for joining us again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Love listening to you. And uh, if it wasn't for us trying to keep our time, our podcast under an hour, we'd just talk for the afternoon. But uh, thanks, thanks a million again for your time, Steve. Thanks for your time, Barry. Always appreciate it. I'll, uh, I'll see you before the Open. Absolutely. Listen, have a, have a great US Open, and uh, I hope all your bets come in. Take care. Bye. Bye, Barry. Well, you're fine. Bye-bye.